survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 16, the premiere of season 2, and in this edition we'll be focusing on a handful of one-shot Resident Evil villains. My name is Cyniac, you can just call me Cy, and joining me on the panel this week, and to think that podcasting used to be his hobby, it's Steamforged Games' Sherwin Matthews. Something like that, anyway. Consider the podcast you're in a special playground I've prepared just for you. It's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hello! You're still podcasting. Such persistence. It's Boy Wonder Adam Russell Reeves. Good day. And our very special guest this week, Discipline Breeds Unity, Unity Breeds Power, Power is 40,000 YouTube subscribers. It's Kai Morgan from Ink Ribbon. Wow, that's like the best intro ever. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I worked on that one. This episode of the podcast, like all others, was recorded live in our Discord server. Join now to hear the podcasts early and unedited, as well as engage with our community, contribute to the show and other upcoming projects, and be informed first of everything going on behind the scenes. You can find a link to the server in the description of the podcast or on our social media accounts. So we've got a lot to get through on this mammoth of an episode. First of all, I did want to properly circle back round to Kai, as you most of you guys will probably be aware of him. Like I said, he's got a big, big YouTube follow one of the biggest um, Resident Evil slash survival horror YouTube channels out there, I'd say. So, Kai, uh, how did you sort of get onto the YouTube game? Because I went back a little bit through your channel and you didn't really start out with the Resident Evil or horror focus, did you? And it kind of evolved that way? Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of just, you know, when you start YouTube, you throw everything you can at the wall and see what sticks. And I, you know, I named the channel but over time it just sort of evolved because I realized that talking about something I was actually passionate about brought in other people who were passionate about it and it just went from there but yeah yeah that makes sense really that's a similar thing that happened to me in a weird way um and in terms of Resident Evil obviously it's had a big impact on your life where did you step in were you from the OG or um the first one I ever played was two on the PS1 and it was all like from there i was just obsessed from the moment i touched it and um i actually went to school for video game art and design because of resident evil and nice. uh that's part of the reason i do the content that i do is i'm very fascinated and like a lot of the behind the scenes and doing that research i'm like hey people probably don't know about this mm -hmm. um so yeah. yeah it's just it's a complete obsession <laughs> yeah that's fair enough and like it comes across like the passion comes across in your channel and like you just say like a lot of your videos um, are like Easter eggs and secrets and stuff like that. So it really shows that inquisitive nature, I think. I'm going to put you on the spot. So it, Resident Evil 2, your favorite or, or is another game closer to your heart? Ah, you know, I don't know. I, I, I probably have to say two. I mean, it was the first one and it was like the one. Plus, Leon and Claire are my favorite characters in the series and i just love the whole like raccoon city thing and no i i love two and the original two i definitely love the remake but i mean you know i've got nostalgia goggles on i can never unsee the, mm -hmm. the beauty of Resident Evil two <laughs> it seems it's, it's weird because like we had to do a first aid spray and ink ribbon collab it was it, it was you know destiny <laughs> to get those two yeah. things together but you and i apparently <laughs> have got a lot of parallels going on so this is a very special moment <laughs> perfect 
So before we get into the show proper, we do have some housekeeping for our stuff at the top of the show. So the first one is new music. As you've already heard, jumping into this episode, we have a brand new theme song for the podcast as supplied by Mono Memory. Uh, again, someone that most of you guys might recognise if you're sort of ingrained in the Resident Evil community. He's done a lot of synthwave Resident Evil covers. He's, in fact, he's got a whole album's worth and then some. Uh, so if you enjoyed what you heard and you aren't aware of him, you can find him in the description. Go seek him out, whatever your platform of music listening choice is. You know, uh, he's on there. Go stream some of his stuff and check it out because it's, it's definitely worth a look. So thank you to him for that. If you head over to our Facebook and Twitter and our YouTube and all that business, you'll see we've got brand new artwork. Uh, so we got some chibis commissioned of the entire First Aid Spray crew. I don't know if we're still called the First Aid Spray crew or if I'm calling us the Pueblo people now <laughs> because, of, <laughs> because of episode 15. Do definitely listen to episode 15 if that makes no sense to you. Um, yeah, all of us as stars member Chibis, so special thanks to Emza Wolf for putting that together. They came out pretty great as well. Um, whilst you're on the YouTube, hit subscribe. There's new content coming, and we put out a video a couple weeks ago now, uh, a kind of follow-up to our Project Resistance Masterminds video. Um, and in a similar vein, I wrote it and edited it, and uh, Steve did the voiceover for this one. It's about tragic characters in the Resident Evil universe. I think it came out great, and yeah, it's just the start of that direction that we want to to move into like it's integrated stuff. the best video i've done <laughs> there you go you that sold it right so <laughs> we've got lots more stuff like that on the horizon some stuff is already ready to go so make sure you hit subscribe so you can see it first when it comes out and plenty more in the works and again if you're interested in making resident evil video content and you don't necessarily have all the stuff there to do it. If you're a writer or an editor or just someone with plenty of ideas, do join the Discord server because we want to work with you guys. Some of our stuff that's coming up now has been written by Discord server members and stuff like that. So that's been a cool experience. And finally, on top of that, there will be another another part of First Days coming to light. The podcast, the videos, and we're working right now on a kind of audio drama. Uh, there is a book called Biohazard The Beginning. It sets up the kind of story for the original game. It's quite a rare piece. And uh, a Discord server member of ours, Evil Deadite, came to me with the project of doing a recording of it. So casting will now be open for that. Again, you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast and on our social medias. Uh, if you think you're a decent voice match for any of the stars cast or want to play one of the original roles from that book, do check it out. Uh, it's something that we want to move uh, towards doing in the future. It's probably going to take a long while to get that project done. It's definitely a bigger affair. But this is the, these are the kind of extra things that we're always kind of ramping up towards. So, like I said, season two, there's a lot coming. All of that out of the way, I'm going to let other people talk for a while now. Steve, please take us into the news. Okay then, so our first bit of news then is that Resident Evil 2 2019 wins Best Audio and Game of the Year at the Golden Joystick Awards. I think this is fairly self-explanatory, but what do we all think? Yay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah! Cool. I think um, I think it's well-deserved. I, I mean, I haven't played a ton of the new games this year, but... Resident Evil 2019 has like atmosphere and buckets, and um, the sound is phenomenal in that game. So I'm pretty stoked that they did that, and it also means that we uh, we likely get a fancy edition. So that's you know never a bad thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, it did win mm-hmm. Best Audio separately as well as Ultimate Game of the Year. So they did give it a nod for the atmosphere, definitely. Did, um, I mean, I only watched bits and pieces, but did Sekiro or um, anything like that get in? Or was it just like, I mean, I don't know what the contenders were for this I've, particular. I'm not actually sure what it was going up against, to be honest. I've got the list of winners in front of me, but I don't have the list of nominees. Don't get me wrong. I think RE2 2019 is, you know, they, they delivered on a game that, no one thought they could do like mm. here's a here's a remake of a game you want in a way that pleases almost everybody yeah so it's, it's that, a strange yeah. one because i do agree that it deserved it but at the same time it was kind of a surprise <laughs> mm. but yeah in retrospect like again we talked about it before like all the memes and stuff that spun off from it uh it makes sense it's people do have a lot of love for that game Definitely. Well, and one thing that I've noticed that's really interesting, as I said, I, I love the original or whatever, but, you know, someone much younger today is going to play it and be like, oh, like these graphics is gameplay and they're going to hate it. Sure, yeah. But this is a way that now younger people can experience it the same way we experienced it. And you get to see all you love and then now they love it. And that's like a really, really cool thing to see. Absolutely. And I mean, it's worth mentioning as well here that it's it is up for game of the year again. Uh, at the uh, Video Game Awards at the end of, or it's in the middle of December. Um, it's up for a few categories. I don't have them to hand, it, like adventure game and stuff like that. I think it's up for best audio again. But it, so it could have a nice little sweep here, on, and technically it could win that as well, which would be that would be a hell of a thing. It would only be good for the Resident Evil universe going forward. You know, it would, mm-hmm. it would have them funnel more money money into it. So let's hope. Yeah, I mean. If, if you know, we shouldn't really have the, the reaction that this is a direction that they should be moving in. Uh, and like people always say, vote with your wallet. Um, so if it's winning these awards and that kind of stuff, uh, that's only really kind of good for the direction of the series. Agreed. Exactly. Agreed. There is a leaks of a potential new uh, DLC according to some Steam achievements. What do we think of that, boys and girls? Yeah, again, another surprise, I suppose, um, especially because the game is coming up on a year now. Um, but yeah, there has been some updates to the Steam version. There's a placeholder achievement popped in there um, and uh, some what they call game branches. Uh, and usually that is towards new content, um, especially if the branches are locked off. So stuff that's being tested internally. Um, so yeah. Very possible that there is more to come. Possible stuff for game of the year. What are what are people uh, what are people thinking? Like Kai, what would you expect from future RE2 DLC? Well, I'm curious because they recently did that Iceborne uh, a, a thing with um, Monster Hunter where they mm-hmm. put Leon and Claire in the game, and I highly doubt they're going to do the other way around where they bring <laughs> like characters from that into the Resident Evil <laughs> world because that would just be weird. <laughs> Um, but they're obviously interested in still promoting the game. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done that. So I don't know. I mean, it really could be anything. It could be Ada's mode. It could be Extreme Battle. I I, I have no idea. But whatever it is, I know I'm going to love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I've seen a lot, a lot of people like shouting for a Marvin um, DLC piece. And I think, to be fair, when Ghost Survivors came out, that was the name that we all flocked to. If we get more, that would be what we want to see. So... Maybe they're responding to fan demand. RE2 came out in January this year, right? Uh, so yes. February. We're coming up for the, the, January. the anniversary. So if, if you ask me, it's like the year, a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they're going to do the gaming game of the year thing, I mean, they've already got like license for the joystick awards, but they're probably doing a gold edition anyway. Mm-hmm. That's generally how Capcom work. 
chances are it's going to be some kind of DLC link with that. That's what I would have thought. Like, sure. Um, I, I kind of feel like it's not going to be Marvin or Ada. I feel like it's going to be Extreme Battle or something less uh, mm-hmm. less cutscene heavy. Because if they're focusing on other things that you know we cannot we can only speculate on, I don't think they're going to spend the resources doing all the cutscenes and camera rigging for them unless sure. they were already done in the first place. That is a so, very realistic you know. reaction. <laughs> you know, sorry, sorry to be a downer, everybody. <laughs> no, I, I agree. The other with you, thing I, I wonder about. Funny. The other thing I wonder about is if it's somehow branching between Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 Remake, and it's, we're not going to see it until Resident Evil 3 Remake's a little bit farther, like if they're going to throw Nemesis into the game or, <laughs> you know. Like a teaser. But again, speculation, who knows. I mean, Borderlands 2 did it, didn't they? There was like a prequel campaign that did it for Borderlands 2 that was for Borderlands 3. So, yeah. uh, something like that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Okay, then. Mario. So, <laughs> so our uh, our next bit of news laced records reveal another set of resident evil vinyl coming it's for resident evil zero and resident evil code veronica which personal bias they are the best soundtracks don't at me <laughs> oh wow <laughs> uh, wait what was the first game zero uh, zero resident evil zero ah. saying something so brave yet mm. so controversial <laughs> <laughs> i like re2 and three as well don't get me wrong yeah yeah, um, so obviously no, no, they no, did... You are, you are absolutely wrong. You're correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did the vinyl earlier this year for Remake and RE2. Um, strange that they're missing out RE3. Hmm, speculative. Um, so yeah, Zero and Code Veronica. Um, not much to say on this one. We did a unboxing video for the first two. I mean, spoiler alert, I bought these as well so probably expect another video looking at those <laughs> yeah they've got you on the hook now so they really keep releasing I, stuff i think i think when they actually like tweeted out this announcement i'm pretty sure i responded to it with just oh no <laughs> i just knew that was like well there goes 60 more euros or whatever it is but the first two are, are fantastic so i will gladly snap up whatever else they put out relatable <laughs> okay, so our last piece of news this week, and this is more for our Nintendo Smash fans, but Resident Evil Spirits are now going to be available to collect. I believe it's for five days from the 29th of um, November. Oh, thank you for the date. I missed that bit off. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, a hell of a bombshell to wake up to. Lots lots of emotions, especially from speaking as someone who's a very big Smash fan. Um, yeah, this, so I Spirits- love to smash. <laughs> not that kind. <laughs> uh, so yeah spirits in smash brothers for those people who don't know are they're just sort of like little collectible entities that you can then attach to your character um in the adventure Wait, mode what? to give them Resident extra Evil in smash brothers yes yeah. did you not see this <laughs> no so yeah you they, they basically power up your adventure mode character um so there is chris in his bsaa uniform oh. uh remake jill Wesker and RE4 Leon, which my immediate reaction was, well, no Resident Evil character coming then, but uh, I don't know. It's such a strange Claire way to there, reveal though. it. Claire wasn't there. Well, then, yeah, don't Ooh. get my hopes up, right? <laughs> yeah. I just think it's such a non-reveal that it pretty much uh, it doesn't look good for Resident Evil having a playable character in Smash if this is just going to be the way they do it. Because usually with these things, they'd be like, here's the character and also... Here's the extra stuff, like me costumes and spirits would usually come with a character. So doesn't doesn't look great, but we're, it's, we're it's just expecting. Of... We're just expecting a Mr. 
yeah, Mr. X, Tyrant, Echo Fighter for Ganondorf. That's, that's <laughs> all I want. No. <laughs> but no, uh, are you seeing what characters are tied to these spirits, Si? Uh, I, I saw that Wesker is Captain Falcon and Chris is Snake, which they both kind of make sense. Uh, do you know the other two? Because I didn't see those. Yeah, um, so Leon, RE4 Leon is Fox McCloud, so we now know his fursona. And um, <laughs> Joe Valentine is the Wii Fit trainer. I okay. want to pick different yeah. Samus or something like that, but that's just me. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. So yeah, so uh, by the time this podcast comes out, like those spirits will probably not be obtainable anymore, but <laughs> that's what I'm going to be doing over the next few days. <laughs> it's just for the people in the chat listening live that can get these scoops on the ground floor. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, with that out of the way, let's move into our main discussion this week, which is Villain Special Part 1. And now, reading the file Marcus's Diary 1 from Resident Evil Zero, Sam Rowett, who you can follow on Twitter, at Sam Bakes Games. We finally did it. The new virus. We have called it the Progenitor. I want to carry it back and start detailed investigations immediately. Spencer says he's going to start a company. Well, I don't care as long as I can continue my research into Progenitor. He can do what he likes. Spencer keeps asking me to be the director of his new training facility. Maybe it's because of the business, but he's becoming intolerably pushy. But... Maybe I can turn this to my advantage. I need a special facility to properly explore all this virus's secrets. A place where no one will get in the way. Damn that Spencer! He came to complain to me again today. He thinks of Progenitor as nothing more than a money-spinning tool. Fool. But if his influence continues to grow, it can only be bad for my research. If I'm to properly develop Progenitor, I must strengthen my own position, too. At last! I've discovered a way to build a new virus type with Progenitor as a base. Mixing it with leech DNA was the breakthrough I needed. I call this new virus T for Tyrant. So, the long-awaited villain special. This has been requested by a couple of people, um, so it seemed like a good way to kick off Season 2. Um, there are a lot of one-shot villains in the Resident Evil universe, by which we mean uh, antagonists that really only have one appearance, discounting any retellings of stories and stuff like that. Uh, we kind of wanted to shine a light on some of those characters, rather than give them all an individual podcast, which wouldn't really work. We've packaged a bunch of them together, so we're looking at the classic Resident Evil games for these ones. So I'll just run through the sort of contents of what we're going to be talking about. We have James Marcus from Resident Evil Zero. There isn't one from Resident Evil 1 because Wesker is a little bit more than a one-shot villain. Resident Evil 2 had Annette Birkin and Brian Irons. We'll cover both of them and their remake counterparts. Um, Resident Evil 3, of course, Nikolai Zinovev. And uh, then in Co-Veronica, we have the Ashford twins. So starting right back at Resident Evil Zero, let's focus first on James Marcus. James Marcus started life as an esteemed virology university student, and it was meeting Oswald E. Spencer in class, along with his childhood friend, Edward Ashford, that would drive the three towards the most important moment of their lives. Discovery of the progenitor virus saw the three found umbrella pharmaceuticals, 
Marcus was made head of the Umbrella Research Centre, where he would work on refining their discovery until his creation of the T-Virus by implanting the progenitor strain into the body of a leech in 1978. Strains on his relationship with Spencer began after Oswald repeatedly attempted to steal his work, uh, and then eventually after uh, shutting down the research centre and taking all of the students to compete with Marcus, uh, Spencer would have Marcus assassinated. However, when his corpse was dumped into the waste disposal along with his leeches, the Queen Leech spent 10 years living inside of his body, merging them both together so that in 1998 he might live again, at least to some degree. So the first question for all of these, but none more so, James Marcus, is how was everyone, what was everyone's first reaction to Marcus in Resident Evil Zero the first time they played it? Let's go around the room, uh, show and starting with you. You know, it's interesting. Um, it's always a bit risky introducing a character that, and I may be I may be proven wrong on this, but it's always introducing a character that no one's ever heard of before and saying they are a big deal within the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of like when you're watching, I don't know, let's say Game of Thrones and some random knight is there and everyone's buddies with them going, oh yeah, no, they've been there the entire time, they just never took their helmet off. Kind of thing. <laughs> and I, that's kind of how best way I could sum up how I feel about this character. Um, he's kind of got an interesting backstory, I guess. But I think partly due to um, partly due to some really odd design choices in terms of you know how the younger version of him looks versus the older version and so on. And I also I'm really not the leeches thing was kind of okay, but also for me was kind of not the best character or enemy design. Um, it's difficult to break away from lots of different elements here to that sort of combine to make a character that feels fairly unremarkable in my head. That's fair enough. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about James Marcus? So when I first played it, I, I generally had the reaction of, what in the ever-living... <laughs> you know, and... Because your first time you see him, there's this maniac just screaming... Uh, sorry, singing on a, on a cliff while leeches crawl up to him and lightning's going, like, why is there a recall of Sephiroth just over there singing at me? <laughs> and uh, then I realised, ah, we have an extra from Captain Planet. <laughs> Yes, definitely a, a strange introduction. Probably one of the yeah. strangest Resident Evil intros ever. As is... ridiculous as it is, it's definitely memorable. Okay. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll give you that. Kai, how do you feel about James Marcus? Um, well, when I first saw him, it was you know the the singing, long haired, whatever. And when it cut to Billy, and he's like, "Who's that guy?" I was like, "Guy." Um, <laughs> yeah, he's fairly. But uh, what's the one I'm looking for? Androgynous. Yeah, definitely Japanese artwork <laughs> right there. Um, Bishop. But uh, the as as far as Marcus as a person, uh, coincidentally, I'm actually releasing tomorrow. I narrated I narrated all the files from Resident Evil Zero, and I like to try to copy their voices. Mm -hmm. He has the weirdest speech pattern, like. Oh my god! I had to do like a million takes to get it right. But uh, doing that, I got to like you know read his diaries and all that. And this guy was completely insane. Um, I mean, of course, it's Resident Evil and he works for Umbrella, but like, I mean, really, really insane and really into leeches. Yeah, um, his uh, he's he's very super villain esque. Like, he's literally like all spooky, weird science experiments on people, and yeah, and then he's got like the crazy evil laugh near the end of the game down. I have claimed this place for myself. <laughs> it's like, isn't his last line something like, 
no, it is you that will die, or something like that. <laughs> the world will burn in an inferno of hate. <laughs> yeah, something Thank like you, that. Steve. Well, uh, one one interesting thing in the diaries that I noticed is that Umbrella was actually telling him to stop doing experiments, and he kind of just went and did it against their will. So I think this was like before Umbrella was like really, really evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adam, how do you feel about Marcus? Uh, as a lifelong David Bowie fan, I feel pretty good about him. <laughs> he, uh, he, there's just, I love a, I really love like a theatrical, stupid, like for, for the, for the wrong reasons, obviously, um, from what they were going for. I love that kind of villain who's just kind of a bit more out there, a bit more mm-hmm. interesting. And I, uh, I, I kind of really enjoy like the leech thing as well. I just thought it was kind of cool. They look, you know, at the time when I played it all those years ago, it was just kind of like kind of gross and kind of cool. Um, I don't understand why, again, like we've spoke about this, I feel like several times, but isn't Umbrella its own worst enemy? Like, <laughs> Why do they have to all fight and kill each other? <laughs> yeah. Like no. it just like let him do his work. Jeez. Um but yeah, I I I I don't know how I feel about the weird singing of it. That's that's a bit you know crazy. But I but I do like the character. I think he's kind of interesting and you know it's it made somewhat of a night although I guess he was like the classic like old white man syndrome of, of villains. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kind of still was that, but he wasn't as well. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I enjoy James Marcus. Yeah. My, my devil's advocate for this is like, it is very unique to say the least to be fighting. What is essentially a combination of memories and a creature that loves this guy all smushed into some new physical form. Like you can't really think of many other <laughs> media where it's like, <laughs> it's something like that. And in terms of Umbrella, I actually kind of like that they're all at each other's throats. Like, they're all power-hungry, rich dudes. Um, so any advance that any of them makes on their collected sort of discovery, the others kind of get jealous about it. But yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. They, it's it's a lot of backstabbing going on, pretty much literally when it comes to James Marcus. But I mean, yeah, like you guys are right. It's, it's very strange. I remember my reaction was like, well... Code Veronica was weird, but this is several steps beyond that. <laughs> I mean, Code, like, Code Veronica edges out into the strange a little bit, but I wouldn't say that's where Resident Evil started going off the cliff into like this utter insanity that it kind of does after this point. You know, there's Code Veronica strange, and then there's opera singing, robe-wearing man made of leeches and memories. Like, that's a bit, that's a bit beyond. Do we, prefer, do we prefer young Marcus, or do we prefer the Umbrella Chronicles version, which is just another leech man that's a bit more humanoid? I'm assuming we prefer the bootleg Sephiroth version, right? Definitely. I yeah, I do. I do. I know that's not the general consensus with the community. No, I agree. I agree. I prefer something visually theatrical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously, yeah. Like, how do we feel about James Marcus's role in the story? So because he shows up in that entrance, and we then start to discover stuff in his backstory. And when you when you see him in the beginning of the video, you don't necessarily know that that's the same person. You're learning about old man Marcus. Um, and then the story comes together. How do we feel about that kind of separation and that coming together? Because personally, um, I found the whole thing really, really weird and kind of hard to follow without looking back on it and trying to piece it together. Um, how do we feel about that, Kai? Why don't you kick us off with this one? This, the overall story of Marcus throughout this game. 
Um, well, like I said, reading the diaries very, very recently um, actually shed a lot of light on that. And one of the biggest things about the leeches that makes a lot of sense as to why he's so into them is he started uh, these experiments where he would try feeding them like different things and mm -hmm. seeing how they behave. And over time, he started noticing behavior changes. Like um, first they would attack each other and cannibalize, but then slowly they started sort of working together and then they started just completely operating as one. And then the kicker was when they started imitating him. And um, throughout all the diaries, he starts referring to them as his children. And he became sort of a very paternal figure to the leeches. At least that's how he saw it. So, I mean, his obsession totally makes sense to me. Um, yeah, I, I think the uh, the singing opera thing is just a, an aesthetic that is mm -hmm. just a Japanese byproduct. But the rest of it, I mean, I, I get it. Yeah, that's fair. Like this, the opera scene doesn't ever really become part of his character. There's no like anything, sound wave thing or anything like the like I guess with the leeches, right? There's no. Sonar I don't believe film. so. I don't believe no. so. No. Just um, thinking of an no, excuse for singing. No, yeah. but you're but you're right. His story is mostly told through the files. Um, he doesn't really get that much dialogue, which is kind of a shame. Uh, mm. Steve, how do you feel about uh, the story of Marcus over Re Zero? Uh, I kind of, he feels like out of all the Umbrella staff we've ever encountered, he's the one who really does not give two, you know, two dams about being there. He just wants to just do his research. He's been given this research sense to train him. He makes the motto and then buggers off into his lab in the back. You know, he's got no, no loyalty to the court. I mean, all right, fair. How many Umbrella employees are loyal except maybe Hunk? None of them. But he's, <laughs> a, he, he's especially, like, he just doesn't care. He's just there for the research. And when he starts getting a family out of the leeches, that's, like Kai said, he's, it's pretty much all he's committed to. Yeah, that's that's fair. Sherwin, what's your, your feeling on taking down Marcus throughout the game? You know, again, I, I, he, in my head, Marcus would have been much more sinister and much more impactful if they just kept him as this esoteric figure that appears in documents and we'd never actually encountered him at all. And had a very much different kind of foe for the, as, as the end kind of as the end game kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's kind of something I couldn't shake for, for as I was going throughout to the point where again, when you get to the reveal and you realise, oh, okay, that's young Marcus and the leeches are forming him or whatever else, and you're like, yeah, kind of wish you had done that. <laughs> like, I mean, to, to again play devil's advocate, technically you're not really facing Marcus, are you? You're facing no. the Queen Leech. Um, but I take your point definitely. Yeah, it's just a weird one. Like, I, like a big gribbly monster, I can totally deal with. Like, big gribbly monster that is imitating a younger version of him they never met, for example, and going off his old memories is kind of really funky. Mm -hmm. It's very science um, fiction. Yeah, and I'm not sure. And I think that's you were saying it earlier. Like, it's the point where Resident Evil didn't like necessarily start going off the rails. But I think, much like with the Ashfords, I think for me, <clears throat> there's um. There's the hints of it there. There's the seeds of it there yeah, at that stage. For sure. You kind of find yourself moving away from this survival horror place and more into these sort of high-level science fiction concepts, and I just don't think they necessarily gel as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, overall, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's more or less it. I mean, the rest of you guys have pretty much said, like, you know, the personal points I could make otherwise. Um, yeah, See, that's what it is. I completely understand where you're coming from, but for me, in a way, I actually kind of like the aspect of fighting kind of Marcus because it's really the only uh, chance that we actually get in the series to properly go toe to toe with Umbrella like an embodiment of Umbrella and again like Steve said it wasn't necessarily that bothered by the actual company just the research but you know this is the guy that created the T-Virus so it's nice to have that kind of 
one on one, well, okay, it's Resident Evil Zero, so two on one um, kind of face down, because we didn't really ever get that with Spencer. And the Ashfords, obviously, the founding Ashford, the founded Umbrella was is long gone before the games really start. So it's, it stands out in that way for me. Uh, Adam, how do you feel about Marcus's journey throughout the game? Um, I, f- I find it quite interesting in Resident Evil lore. You know, it's it's definitely a different concept in terms of having, like, the leeches imitate, you know, the man, you know, f- uh, as a younger entity. That's very interesting. It's one of those weird kind of payoffs that you have to get into the game to, to work out, which, which I enjoy a lot of the times when they do that in, you know, other media, TV shows and movies and, and stuff. Um, I... Definitely um, feel like he is like what would if you were to do something like this nowadays, he would be like, you know, the the scientist on the autism spectrum who, you know, is kind of like a little maybe naive or whatever Mm. and um, and and is manipulated like he feels like he kind of feels like that sort of character. He kind of wants to get on with his own stuff and the insidious other members of, of umbrella kind of have it out for him. They want what he's got. Um, I guess they, they kind of want that from everyone as they go along. Why would you ever get a job with this company? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, but I was, I mean, my own personal musings on like the singing and stuff is like, like Kai was saying, like if you sort of delve into him, which I did a little bit, is like he was like considered himself a father to the to these uh, creatures, and I mean maybe he would play that kind of music or even sing to them, mm-hmm. you know. That's true. When when he was alive, and and maybe that you know, and obviously if you sing to a child, you know they grow up with memories of that song. Um, maybe the leech queen is is singing the song that was sung to her. Or or whatever. So I find that there's there's ways to to get around the the craziness of it. In reality, it was just like a weird like Japanese people have odd feelings about what's cool and what isn't compared to the <laughs> Western world. And I guess like weird robed David Bowie like singing characters are badass over there. Um, <laughs> oh wow! So... <laughs> I've got a new head cannon coming in. It's basically it's old man Marcus hums like a gentle <laughs> to the Queen Leech. Right. And yeah. the Queen Leech reinterprets that as like some kind of biblical message. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The the, the yeah, god yeah, was singing this, you yeah. know. The creator was had always humming All a praise tune the or creator god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be but, uh, but to be fair, Adam, uh, like you've basically just sold me on a Resi Zero remake if they change that characterization and insert stuff like that. How <laughs> awesome would that be to have like Dad Marcus and then <laughs> you know have it go from there? That would be super cool. Well, unless anyone but, has yes. any final notes, um, we'll move on from uh, Dad to Mother. <laughs> I'll quickly say that. According to the wiki, mm-hmm. his hobby is plotting to bring down Umbrella. What a cool <laughs> hobby. <laughs> the hobby of many, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let's move forward 
to uh, Resident Evil 2 and the two one-off villains from that game starting uh, directly inside of Umbrella yet again. We've got Annette Birkin who began working for Umbrella at latest in the 1980s if not beforehand and eventually became a researcher under William Birkin. The two would obviously form a bond, wed and have a daughter. Sherry was often neglected in her childhood due to her parents' work at Umbrella and on the G-Virus specifically. When the Raccoon City outbreak begins, Annette tells Sherry to hide in the police station where it will be safe, presumably because Umbrella has the police chief under their thumb, but also because Annette is dealing with her now mutated husband in the underground tunnels of the city. So uh, let's do the same thing. How do we feel about Annette the first time we saw her? Uh, Steve, let's start with you. By that we mean 98 Annette, yeah? Yeah, that, well, do it however you want to do it. <laughs> I see, because um, well, both versions of Annette, or rather if you include like Dark Side Chronicles all three, <laughs> are horrible people, okay? <laughs> But I would argue that 2019, she's a little bit more sympathetic. But the, if I have to hear the phrase, you murdered my husband, I'll never forgive you for that. Another time, I may just like have to pick a black In all four of the main campaigns of the original RE2, she is a one-trick pony who just like is just out to stop anyone trying to stop William from copulating with his own daughter. Yeah, uh, it's it's not not a good look. Mm. I would agree with that, I, and I I might almost wonder that that's like limitation of the time period that they didn't give her um, quite as much spotlight as the remake did. I'll get onto my mm. feelings on that when we get there, I guess. Um, uh, so, Adam, how do you feel about Annette? Um, in the the ninety eight version, I feel she's she's almost just like. I don't know. I didn't like her really in 98. She felt almost superfluous to me. Mm. Um, it was just like a, a character to kind of throw in there and, and be almost like mustache twirly villain-esque as well, just to be like, like why? It, she just seemed evil for not much of a reason. Like she was I connected feel like to she, Umbrella, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Classic. Yeah. Classic Umbrella. Um it feels, yeah, and, and it was somewhat two-dimensional, and I didn't feel very good for the situation that she was in. It mm. didn't feel realistic to me. I much preferred the the, the remake, uh, which gave her... She actually got, like, a whole ton of screen time um, in the remake. Um, she still kind of sucked, but she kind of was able to, obviously, given the... the the kind of advance in technology they were able to capture better a bit more of humanity in her mm -hmm. um she's still probably she might even be my least favorite character no steve is my least favorite character um she's hey. probably she's, pro <laughs> she's probably close to my least favorite character honestly i don't have a lot of thoughts about her i feel like she's kind of pointless <laughs> fair enough kaya <laughs> kaya your turn how do you feel about mrs birkin um, I think she really drives home the fact that you shouldn't have kids without thinking about it. Although I do <laughs> love Sherry. Because um, really, if you take Sherry out of the equation, she suddenly is a much more reasonably written character. Mm. Um, I, I actually like her in the original Resident Evil 2 a little more, just because I felt like she almost seemed too... Um, like, there are some scenes where she almost seemed kind of high or something like she wasn't really focused like she wasn't making eye contact and she just it was making me uncomfortable but you know the original Annette was just 
she was super devoted to her husband and his research and she was just really really like you know there for for the research and she didn't you know she wasn't a good mother but she was a great scientist and I, I have to say when the pipes first fell on her head i laughed so hard because it was so unexpected like because <laughs> like that animation oh my god <laughs> um but i don't know i uh i am not indifferent to annette but i kind of am i mean she serves her purpose for the narrative to kind of reveal who ada really is and then the whole thing and i think that's really the only reason she's in the game mm -hmm. uh Sherwin, how do you feel about Annette? Do you know, when we were making the board game, Annette was the most complex character to try and understand where she's coming from. Um, and I, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, in a weird way, I think that's kind of what makes her uh, really work. I was realizing this as I was kind of going through and looking at the different characters and trying to understand where they're coming from and so on. And I get it from a perspective of making, you know, uh, something like a TV show or a film or kind of a video game. You really have to sort of latch on to like, you know, core identities with your character yeah. so people can easily identify them but at the same time annette just feels like this conflicting mess of kind of motherly instincts kind of evil scientist who doesn't care about humanity kind of you know doting wife kind of also this survivor slash probably an alcoholic or drug addict of some description because she's really unhinged and a lot of the time you see her and obviously i'm talking about the first original 98 version at this point mm -hmm. and um that's human that's what we are you know, humans aren't kind of these perfect in instances of, oh, yes, I'm like this today. You know, they don't necessarily have that one overriding thing. And I think she feels very much like a woman who's just been pulled in too many different directions. And as a result, you get a very different perspective of her every time. Because she's literally someone that's been running around after being an, after being like a um, working in a really bad place for a long period of time. She's now been running around scared of zombies and stuff in the dark on her own for quite a long while. You know, her kid has gone. Her husband's turned to this unstoppable killing machine. She's really kind of at the end of her wit. So for me, that she kind of fits quite nicely. When we look at the remake, I think she just sounds so disinterested a lot of the time. And I think... Unfortunately, some of that tends to blend itself into this sort of degree of naive, naive incompetence, um, which kind of doesn't necessarily work with the character. Like, there's, there's this bit of kind of when she's first talking, well, I think the first time she meets Claire and she's kind of not even talking to Claire. Claire's talking to her and, and it's just completely blanking her. She's talking to herself at this point. And it just, and exactly what you said, Kai, it just sounds like she's kind of high, like she's just ignoring Claire completely. Yeah. And maybe they were going for sort of this alienating kind of doesn't you know drop down to claire's level kind of vibe but what they actually ended up with this is kind of person who didn't really feel very human didn't really feel like it's got much realism to it and the same with the interactions with sherry as well it was all very much kind of there was never this element of oh sherry's my daughter and i'm really worried about her it was almost kind of this scene calls for you to be really upset about your daughter go go okay annette runs in does the thing and then afterwards okay was that good yeah great don't care she didn't really care about you anymore. <laughs> but you know i've done my bit but um yeah i think she's i think she's definitely an interesting character and for me she she sums up that sense of chaos quite nicely that you would have in this situation she just feels conflicted and pulled in lots of different directions i completely get why people think that's not focused but for me that's part of what she is mm. so it's funny actually i'm glad that you said some of what you did because when i was putting this together i thought back to one of the interviews that we did uh leading up to the re2 board game there was a moment mm. in there where i hadn't really thought too deeply about her character and I always felt that she was just very cold towards Sherry um, 
But you kind of argued the other side of it, that uh, maybe her putting Sherry in the situation that Sherry's in was the most caring thing that she perhaps could have done at the time, considering that she's got uh, other things to deal with. And I could, kind of, I could see where you're coming from. And I feel like that's the direction that the Remake 2 version took a little bit. Because, yeah, for me as well, I feel very similar to most of you guys in the RE2. Um, she's she's a bit of a strange character for the story. She serves somewhat of a purpose of having someone to kind of fill in some blanks. Like, I mean, let's not forget, um, the I mean, the FMV that plays is iconic but even the interactions around that fmv where she kind of tells you what's going on to either to claire or ada those are some pretty iconic scenes for me personally but uh, oh, yes i i i can't say that i was particularly saddened by her death i didn't feel particularly sympathy for her um like i've seen her get clawed in half by uh birkin on claire a so many times and every time it just feels like well good you kind of deserve that <laughs> you know she she does have some troubles she's working with umbrella after all so uh and she's put her daughter in that position but i didn't feel this the same way with remake 2 in fact like she seems much more focused for me in remake 2 and specifically the claire scene that you mentioned where she's completely ignoring her for that for me that just said that she wasn't interested in anything except trying to stop her husband which i can see where you're coming from like as in an isolated scene it doesn't really work out great but as a complete piece it did i felt it was okay because later on you kind of got the story of her you know she was going to shoot her husband but she couldn't do it and now he's this monstrosity and you do get some actually touching moments between her and sherry in the claire playthrough that i mean well, to be fair they were touch emotional i thought so um for me she yeah the remake 2 version was much more of a uh, a better written and better directed character whereas yeah, to use the word superfluous like Adam did in the original RE2, that that's kind of sums up how I feel, actually. Definitely. Um, just, just, just to echo on what you said, I have to say I, I prefer 2019 Annette or Dark Side Chronicles Annette over the original. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's she's got she's gone from being a straight up like I'm trying to protect my husband's research to a anti-villain. She's she doesn't care about the hero's plight, but she's there to stop uh, the G virus getting out. She's there to destroy everything about it except the small cabinet in her main lab. But we'll, 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 we'll go over that bit. But the fact that she's actually having to like destroy what she's created and stop her own husband, as opposed to her old version. And, you know, you couple that with the... Have you ever listened to like the phone call? I think it's like Extra Files in Dark Side Chronicles, where you can actually hear Annette talking to Sherry and trying to get her to the police station. Mm. That yeah. interpretation of her character is a lot more interesting than the Captain Planet villain that's in the original RE2. And I love RE2, but Annette's definitely the weakest part for me in the original. Yeah, that that's that's fair. Yeah, so I think Dark Side Chronicles is a great Annette because she's kind of in the middle of both. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Perhaps we should have highlighted that a little bit more, but I was trying to stay away from, like, because otherwise we'll be here for, like, three hours because of all the different versions that's of these fair. characters we've had. <laughs> um, but you make a good point, definitely. And again, to what you just said about like the, I, w- I don't know, the anti-hero. I see where you're coming from. I don't know if I... No, I mean anti-villain. She's, she's just to stop the villain. She sure. doesn't care about the hero. Yeah, no, okay. No, fair enough. Um, so, I mean, obviously she's kind of responsible for that. She definitely assisted in the G-virus creation. So mm. she's kind of indirectly responsible for what's going on. Um, so is her time to stop Birkin, uh, would that technically be considered like a an arc of retribution, do you think? Does that count, even though she doesn't really succeed? 
I, I can't give her that much credit. She doesn't like exactly rush to save Sherry. Mm. Um, not until like she's at death's door and has been given the vaccine to go do it. Yeah. Uh, so um, there's a there's a type of character that isn't often talked about, and it's one of my favorite types of characters. Ada is also this character, but uh, the jokester character. And that's where you're not sure whose side they're on. Mm. Most of the time they're out for themselves. And I think she falls kind of more on that rather than good or evil, because from her perspective, she's doing what's best, but you know, she doesn't really see the bigger picture. That makes sense, really. Yeah. She's very concerned with what's going on right in front of her. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. So Brian Irons, who has a history of having a mental disorder before he even became chief of police, as documented by cases against him during his university days for violent aggression and sexual assault. When he became head of the RPD, he began taking bribes to not overlook the not only overlook the illegal activities umbrella, but also directly assist in them. The money that he received would fund Irons' art obsession and perhaps even his affinity for taxidermy, as well as the construction of a secret room under the station with what appeared to be torture devices and shackles on the walls. As the city was lost to the T-virus outbreak, Iron loses his mind further, walking the halls of the station, shooting his underling officers in the back. So, Brian Irons, this one should be a fun one. How do we feel about OG Brian Irons from Resident Evil 2 1998? Uh, let's start with Adam. Brian Irons is one of the best villains in the Resident Evil series. Um, <laughs> for the small amount of time he has... And the reason being is that Brian Irons is a villain. Mm -hmm. He's a human villain. Um, he's not motivated by money or power or notoriety in the way that most other Resident Evil characters are. I, could, I would argue that most other Resident Evil characters, even the villains, potentially a lot of them start out with what I would expect to be noble you know, thoughts, you know, I'm sure that when the, the, uh, progenitor virus is discovered, um, the founders are thinking of all the wonderful things that they could do. Um, and obviously as they kind of walk that path, they, they maybe lose some of themselves. They start to resent each other. You know, they want, they want the notoriety. They want the money. Brian Irons is none of that. Brian Irons is most likely a serial killer pre any weirdness. Mm. Mm. Um, Brian Irons is the most despicable villain in the entire series. <laughs> He's most likely a rapist. Um, he is um, clearly a child abuser. Um, he has no morality. Um, he, and there's nothing redeeming about him. Um, I think he's amazing in, in, in the sense, you know, <laughs> as a bad guy, that he, he is a, <laughs> exactly. He is a villain and he's a villain. I can't really relate to, you know, Marcus. I can't really relate to a lot of them. I mean, even Wesker is, is hard to relate to even in his early, more normal appearances. But Brian Irons has a dark side that we we see in the news on a daily basis mm. and it's something that we can all relate to. And that makes him scary. You know, think about playing the orphanage sequence in the remake. Like I was more on edge with that regular human than I was with the giant claw monsters, you know, 
Um, I, I think they did a fantastic job with him, and it's a very rare example of a real villain in the entire Resident Evil mythos. That's one hell of an opening salvo. <laughs> Showing. Can you follow that one up? How do you feel about Irons? Either right. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think... I think uh, Brian Irons represents this awesome kind of... He's like the... Somehow, in, in, a, in a game which has got all of these incredible enemies, like, you know, zombies by nature of what they are, kind of lickers, you know, kind of, you know... Um, the G mutants, or however they end up calling them G adults, I think now, mm -hmm. but whatever else, you kind of have William Burke in all of his malformations and stuff. Brian Iron somehow represents something even more evil. Than that. It's kind of that deepest, darkest, most primal, horrible id that all of us have inside of us that you know, none of us even dare want to even think about or come close to. It's just literally this this person who just jumps out and does what you know, does whatever he wants with zero level of care about the welfare of anybody else it is just literally all impulsive serial killer very mentally deranged stuff and um i think i think in the um i think in the first movie in the first movie in the first game he kind of he didn't necessarily portray that super well and i think at the time they're a little bit more restrained of how they wanted to portray him whereas i think in the second one especially reading the diary intro intros he just felt really, really, really creepy and horrible. And um, I think that really came across well. But I'm going to go completely left field, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about how Brian Irons was in Resident Evil 1.5. <laughs> okay. Now, you, guys, you, guys, you guys may not know this. So <laughs> Brian Irons in Resident Evil 1.5 was this totally different character. Um, he was actually originally like the guy that the others would go, uh, that Leon would, and Claire to a lesser extent would actually meet up with, who's trying to keep the police station alive and keep all the officers safe. Um, he wasn't actually a bad guy whatsoever. He was basically dying on a couch when you met him, and at some point he's kind of there to sort of you know meet you and give you a bit of kind of um, exposition about how what's happened, and then kind of send you on your way. At some point you're going to find him come back find him dead on the couch, and he's like, oh yeah, I'll save the rest of you, escape yourselves, save your own lives. Which I thought was the most interesting, really big change from mm. all of the characters in RE 1.5 to RE 2. And that's kind of what we got with Marvin, you know, when, when it yeah. transitioned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So, um, so that always, in, in the same sense as like whenever I look at 1.5, I always kind of what could have been. That's the biggest what could have been for me. That, yeah. that one character change, that kind of idea of this heroic priest chief suddenly turns into what Brian Irons is now. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's one of the most super interesting, enduring kind of um, Resident Evil mysteries or Resident Evil kind of you know almost ha almost mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it's Overall, one of those pretty things. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where if uh, a fully playable version of one point five ever comes out now, we're all going to be playing it, waiting for him to sort of turn on a dime and change from like lovable police chief to suddenly <laughs> chasing us down a hallway with a shotgun kind of thing just because like i can't imagine him being a nice guy now since it's been so ingrained in my head um kai how do you feel about brian irons uh to be honest i really really hate him <laughs> <laughs> like but it's for all the same reasons that you guys have said and like it, it as far as a fear factor is concerned he's got an a plus because like people like that are out there and they're completely sociopaths and it's even worse when they're in a position of power um but as far as a narrative standpoint i really really 
um, am not a fan just because like, um, so I live in LA. I have to look at a lot of scripts. Um, and one of the things that I always see is really badly written villains. And um, like what was said before, he's just evil because he's evil. And that's not really a good villain because when you look at someone like uh, like Annette, you can you know dissect her story and understand where she's coming from. But with with Chief Irons, I mean, he just enjoys being evil. And I don't like. I don't know. First of all, I think there's already so much going on in Resident Evil 2 that he was kind of unnecessary because, you know, you've got William and then you've got the zombies and there, there's just so much going on. And then you just throw him into the mix. But I, I he's probably the one Resident Evil character that I truly do not like. Every other character I can find merit for, but not him. Wow. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, to argue the other side of it, I would say perhaps there is something in his backstory that caused a turn. It's just that we'll never know what it was um, because the information wasn't provided to us. But I, I I, take your point. He is kind of like, he has less of a motive than some of the other characters, some of the elite characters working for Umbrella or whatever who are obsessed with their research and that kind of thing, um, especially in the case of William Birkin in said game. Um, but Steve, yeah. round, round us out. How do you feel about Irons? Initially, in the very first scene when you meet him, I actually felt kind of sorry for him. I mm. thought he was genuine and like he was just broken. You know, he wasn't like. Admittedly, I was younger then, so I wasn't quite picking up on the uh, you know the Kubrick esque undertones of the fact that he's a complete nutcase. But the second that he left and left that diary, I felt like I had the rug pulled from out from under me, and I was uh, <laughs> determined that I was going to murder this man. <laughs> but no, it's uh, the more you look into him, he's like. He was already clearly a very, like, he was on the take from that. I don't know if he, he may have been a rapist and stuff like that. Uh, and questionable things and very much a unhinged boss in, like, the secretary diaries and things. Mm. But then the second that Raccoon City has, like, uh, gone to hell, he literally just wanted to damn the entire place down around him and kill everyone he can. Mm-hmm. And find time to, you know, do the whole formaldehyding a corpse bit, which is just messed up. Uh, he's a, he's an outlier. Like I think we've all touched on this, but he's very much like every other Resident Evil villain tends to have some kind of goal other than just being a complete and utter pain in the bum. You know, hurting people and making them suffer. There's some kind of end game, like you know, I'm going to take over the world or I'm going to buy a new shop. Uh, but he just <laughs> wants to murder people, and that makes him dangerous in a way that's beyond all the others, at least in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I can. It I makes can. me uncomfortable. He he genuinely does make me uncomfortable. There's... More so now uh, in the remake, mm-hmm. but that's just because he's a bit more opaque in how much he wants to just hurt people. Right. Yeah, there is a unknowing there, which is the the scary part. Like, yeah, again, Birkin. It's he had a, a motive and stuff like that, but Irons is like, yeah, it all starts to go horribly wrong around him, and he knows it's all gone to pot. Um, so he moves all the ammo caches around the station, um, sets up like this nerve gas stuff as well, all these crazy things. And then when, you know, the final day comes, yeah, he just starts walking around killing people just for the, the sheer joy of it. Um, I mean, you, you know, it's a sign when during the orphanage chapter, when Birkin comes in to basically impregnate the man, you're cheering the giant monster with the eyeballs. <laughs> <and you're laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> Same with Mr. X and Birkin. I was cheering on Birkin then as well, but that's, that's different. <laughs> so for me, like, I, I'm on the side that I, I actually prefer classic irons 
you were talking mm. about the not like that first scene where it's just slightly off. Like he just bringing up like taxidermy and how he failed to protect this girl, and it just feels weird and wrong. And then yeah, you you learn more and more from the diaries and stuff. Um, in in the remake, I thought the orphanage was fun. It was a different twist. It was definitely scary in its own uh, own kind of way. But to me, I I still think the underground torture chamber is more raw and real and disturbing. Um, mm. And maybe that's just more about my fears and stuff. But like having that directly under where you work and just being like doom 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 doom, nobody will find out about it. Like in the orphanage, in a police station side, in exactly, a police station. exactly. The orphanage doesn't quite make that much sense to me. Like, how did he get away with having this room? Oh, it's for his taxidermy. It's like, and nobody just questioned. It just seems a little bit strange. And for and again, remake two irons. He's like I say much more opaque, and I just find that less scary because he's much more quick to anger, which is, in a performance way, I was, is really cool. Uh, but in the original game, he's much more quiet and contemplative until those final moments when his like, chest gets torn in two. Um, in Remake, he seems to have a little bit less control of what's going on. He's getting like these angry emails from Birkin about like the levels of security that he should be providing and, and he's failing at. Whereas in the original game, he seems to kind of be in control of what he wants to be doing and, and, and he'll be damned if anyone's going to stop him. Um, yeah, for me, he's he's pretty scary in his, his own way and he stands alone. And I kind of like that. I like that there isn't other characters like this in the series. Um, as much as the mad scientist thing has been done to death in, in the franchise and probably still will be, perhaps, moving forward, um, Iron's, yeah, he should kind of remain this outlier, this total anomaly for me. It's no good. I can't hope for real progress by experimenting on mere rodents. Only humans are a proper mammalian subject for these experiments. Otherwise, I'll never make any real progress. Someone seems to suspect something about my experiments. But perhaps it's just my imagination. Well, if anyone does get too close, they find themselves unexpectedly assisting in my research. At last they are ready, my wonderful leeches! Those of low intelligence, they will never have the privilege of tasting this sense of joy and satisfaction. Now, finally, I can move against Spencer. Soon I will control everything. The devices I set to protect my work have been disturbed. It seems someone came looking for tea in the leeches. Fool. No doubt the work of Spencer's group. Today, I again found evidence of tampering around the entrance to the labs. If that's what they're after, I must find a suitable way to deal with them. Perhaps I should have William and Albert smoke out the pests. Those two are the only ones I trust, apart from my beloved leeches, of course. But Spencer, it wouldn't end there, would it? I will announce tea at the next director's meeting and collect my just rewards. 
Alright, so while we're on the subject of Raccoon City, let's talk about the other villain. And this one is also kind of a unique one. It's Nikolai from Resident Evil 3. A former Soviet Union soldier, Nikolai Zinovev, was selected by Umbrella when searching for criminals and mercenaries for their UBCS squads. Whilst he was officially a sergeant in this role, he was also secretly affiliated with Colonel Vladimir's tyrant program. In September of 98, the UBCS were dropped into Raccoon City with the orders to kill zombies and evacuate civilians. However, Zinovev, like several others, was given special orders in his role as a so-called supervisor. These included monitoring BOW combat for viability data, including the nemesis, and the destruction of Raku General Hospital, which was already known to be developing a vaccine for the T-virus. He was also known to be receiving money for his efforts, with different bonuses for each objective completed. Whether he survives Raccoon City is actually unknown. Um, so how do we feel about Nikolai going around the room? Again, let's start with Steve. Citation needed? Citation oh. needed, Sinyak. Sh shall I'll I have you know, in Resident Evil Survivor, there is a file of Nikolai post-Resident right. Evil 3. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this. In Resident Evil Survivor, there is a file that is signed off by Nikolai uh, in the English version. Not in oh, the Japanese in the English version? Not in the Japanese version. He doesn't sign it off, at least not the final page, which is kind of a date after Raccoon City, I believe. It, I think no. it's just the first few entries which take place before the incident. So in the Japanese version, they don't really ever tell you. It's just no. someone in the translation has decided to put that in there. Special My Russian thanks, baby boy. So special thanks to Project Umbrella Podcast for pointing that one out in their recent Resi 3 remake, because uh, Resi 3 podcast, because I didn't know that either. Um, so this that was kind of a bombshell to me. So at this point, we don't know whether Nikolai's uh, alive, but we'll get to that definitely. Steve, how did you feel about Nikolai's portrayal? Uh, uh, Russian success, uh, a successful Russian version of Wesker, who's out <laughs> to backstab people for money. I'm totally behind this. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, I uh, Nikolai is probably my favourite of all of the PS1 era villains, uh, outside of what well, Albert himself. I he's a conniving, backstabbing pain in the bum, and. The fact that any side game that's featuring Raccoon City, he is going to appear and throw a spanner in the works. It's just a nice little, you know, he's out to screw over everybody, and it's just for financial gain. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care who you are. I, I love that it's very different, a motivation. Plus, if he is alive, he's currently, he's not even bothered in the global affairs. He's just got his pile of money. Mm -hmm. He's fine. Mm -hmm. He kills people just for a paycheck, and I kind of like the, uh, the clear-cutness to him. Not to mention the cheesy accent he had in the original game. <laughs> Kai, how do you feel about Nikolai? Badass. Like, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people use the phrase, but I genuinely, like, I want to hate him, but he, he's so suave and he's so good at what he's a mercenary. Right? Like, I, I know a lot of people love Hunk, but Nikolai is, like, where it's at for me. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't like him as a person, but I like him as a character. He's definitely got a cult following, that's for sure. Showing, how do you feel about Nikolai? Nikolai's badass. Um, <laughs> he, 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 unlike most of the other characters, he just pro projects this very, very, very pragmatic kind of soul who's like, right, I am here, I'm here to do stuff. And he doesn't change throughout the entire thing. He literally is like, you people are helping me shield my way out of this thing. You are all expendable. I just do not care about you. Mm -hmm. And kind of, you know, he's not happy about the fact that Jill's joined them or anything else. And you can tell he gives zero words that Cy will have to bleep out if I say them about <laughs> Carlos or Mikhail. Or, um, Mikhail. He literally is just there to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's just waiting for his moment to turn. And when it does happen, 
it's not a big surprise because he's just like the most cold-blooded person you've ever met in your entire life. But at the same time, that's cool. You didn't need it to be a surprise because it was obviously building towards it, and that's all good. Yeah, so, that, uh, yeah. I, I, I can't say anything bad about Nikolai. I think the only thing that sort of sucks a little bit is the ambiguity of whether he dies or not. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that, I think. Adam, how do you feel about Nikolai? Uh, yawn. Nikolai oh. is a yawn fest. I'm going to go against the other guys right now. He's he's entirely two dimensional. He's, uh, oh, he's just a merc- like oh I'm a bad guy with a gun and I kill people <laughs> and I want some money and I mean there's a there's a couple of I mean he's yeah he has like a cult status but that's just like Boba Fett from the Star Wars universe. It's like he didn't really do anything in those movies and people love him and. And Nikolai doesn't really do a lot, and people love him. He um, blew up a hospital. <laughs> yeah, but that's just that's just a bad guy move. Like, yeah, great, he blew up a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, he, he to me, he just again, he is almost superfluous. Um, it's it's just a a bad dude who's like a badass soldier, which is you know there are there are cool things about that, but it did it doesn't do anything for me um the one characterization i like of his is um was was touched upon i think by sherwin about him just like not even being phased about stuff he's clearly a soldier he's clearly been in serious altercations throughout his life and and wars potentially and i like the fact that he kind of sees this as that he sees a battlefield as opposed to a horror um uh whereas we 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 all see the horror he kind of sees it's a job mm. um but other than that honestly i kind of find him dull as dishwater <laughs> blocked <laughs> and reported <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm just giggling just, myself because it's a job just reminds me of the old flintstones it's a living <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so i think so maybe to back up you a little bit, um, maybe like there's a less of an impact there because you never really get to have any face-off with him. Maybe that's what it is. Like Nick yeah. stands kind of alone now as one of these characters that he doesn't like. For one thing, he doesn't die as far as we know. Uh, it's possible, but if he does, it's kind of just in a helicopter crash. Like so. Mm. Um, yeah, he is one of the rare instances yeah, that, do- that doesn't inject himself right, stupidly exactly. with a, a virus. You, you don't get a monster fight, and these games never have really had you fighting any other guy wielding guns or any other kind of weapons as well. So, um, I mean, I've got a whole bunch of stuff to get to with Nikolai, definitely. They don't want to jump too far ahead, but personally... I really wouldn't be surprised if Remake 3 changes that and for some reason he be, like he has to become a boss fight of some kind. For one thing, Resident Evil 3 sorely lacking boss fights. We all know this. Whether or not he gets injected somehow, gets infected, um, maybe that happens. But I really would be surprised if he, you don't get a boss fight with him in Remake 3. Whether it's a shootout, which would be kind of lame, uh, or him turning into a monster would be also kind of a shame because I like the idea that he gets away, as Steve says, and then just sits on a mountain of money. Um, Can I just quickly jump in? Go for it, yeah. jump in quickly. You want a shootout that's more badass than... Jill with a magnum and Nikolai in a helicopter launching rockets. <laughs> no, I don't. That's the thing. No shootout. <laughs> Get so rid of the shootout. 
<laughs> just speaking hypothetically here, but if you were to frame a boss fight with Nikolai, I'd take his extra stuff into account and all the bombs. He's all tricks and traps. He's not. Yeah, he's true. Not yeah, yeah. It feels like it would be somewhat similar to Krauser in I was just thinking before, that, before yeah. he mutates. Exactly, exactly where I was about to go. From mm. my mind, that's... And this is the bit that perhaps does suck a little bit. And I don't think it sucks about Nikolai. I think it sucks about Krauser. Is that they effectively are like the same character. Mm-hmm. In a lot of, it could have been really, yeah, yeah. No, that's true, and, and that's and that's kind of it. And um, I mean, that's when you get into Resident Evil Four anyway, which is a yeah, you know, depending on who you are, maybe jump the shark, maybe not, sort of thing. But point being that, um, yeah, for me, they're just that that sort of tough military guy, and Krauser just happens to have plus plus because you know big mutant arms. And <laughs> <laughs> so there's yeah, like I say, I've got lots of things to get to with Nikolai, and one of them obviously is how do we feel about him? He's essentially a stereotype. <laughs> like that's how do we feel about that? I mean, like I'm not excusing it with it was the 90s, but that is pretty much the case. And we have B movie monsters across the board and zombies. That's right, one Russian stereotypical merc is not going to break the immersion for me. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's just kind of the thing I wanted to hear. It doesn't take anyone out of the game, does it? Because he is like. You know, Russian bad guy mercenary is, you know, isn't it like half the James Bond? Die hard bad guy number three. <laughs> yeah. You know. Hey, they were German. Come on. <laughs> oh, this is, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, Nikolai's like, in my country, we wrestle bears. <laughs> <laughs> I must break you. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. So, yeah. I but... will say, I will say that um, for all of that I disparaged him, I feel like if he gets um, a bigger part in three, I definitely feel like there's scope there to make that interesting. Mm. So I would be definitely interested. I would imagine that Nemesis ends up killing him or some junk, sure. though. He does in certain roots, doesn't he? In the original. Yeah, he does. He pulls him up into the ceiling and, mm-hmm. and kills him. So... So actually, to, oh. let, let's let's go around with that one. Did, how do you feel about Nikolai surviving, dying? What's your preference? Do you, do, do you feel like he has a cathartic death in any of the scenarios, or would you rather see him get away? Let, let's just go around the room with that one, uh, Sherwin. What do you think of Nikolai's eventual fate in RE3? Do you know? I think the uh, for me the head cannon is the one where he gets grabbed by uh, Nemesis and murdered. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that I think, for my mind, that kind of works better than the other way around, where he just flies off in his helicopter. Mm-hmm. Although here's the thing, though, I say that. <laughs> I think I think I, I say that. I think it works better in a thematic sense to kind of you get closure on it during the game. Yeah, and you kind of have this sense of what it is. But I think it suits the character much more that Nikolai is there, and you know he's in his helicopter, and there's this kind of hey. I've got the money. I don't care. I'm not going to stay around for revenge, or I'm not going to do any of this other stuff. I've got what I need. See you later. I'm done. Like he literally just gone. In that that's that sort of pragmatism again, just super really fits the character completely to me. He's not in this because he's vindictive. He's not in this because he's going for revenge. He's not doing anything other than basically going, This is my objective. Once I finish my objective, you better believe I'm getting out of this death this death hole. Yeah. And I'm done. And I think that I think that sets him also apart from a lot of the other villains we talked about, because they have a personal vendetta or something, an axe to grind. Nikolai's just there doing the job. Fair enough. Adam, what's your preferred ending? Um, yeah, I think I'm with Sherwin. I prefer... I just like the closure of him dying mm-hmm. um, to Nemesis. It just it wraps it up better for me. Um, but I will also agree with Sherwin on that, keeping it open 
Um, and the way the canon way it ends out is definitely more characterful for him as someone that is not motivated by revenge or many of the other tropes we see in in the Resident Evil series. Um, he, you know, he is the guy that would be like, I did my stuff. Now I'm getting out of here because, you know, he knows better than most that, you know, again, going on his background that like you don't keep yourself in a situation like that as any more than you, than you absolutely have to. Um, so I see him having all of the, all of the escape plans. He probably has a bunch of escape plans, (laughs) you know? So, um, I like that he, he can canonically gets away and it would be interesting to see potentially him crop up again later Mm -hmm. in the story. It was kind of weird that, for all of the characters that we've seen introduced, I, I think that, you know, a lot of the games could have been a lot more interesting with the inclusion of him. Like, we could have seen him in six very easily with, mm-hmm. like, the whole sort of world stage that they they kind of brought in. Um, so, yeah, I, I like that he gets away. I, I don't think every villain should jab themselves with a needle, explode into a monster and die by, like, a giant gun. It doesn't need to happen every single time. <laughs> I'm going to jump in and do mine actually at this point because you brought up some points um, I, th- I think it was in the Discord server somewhat recently we were talking about Nikolai um, and you know potentially him returning and, and how that would be I actually I, I guess I like the idea of him getting away because if say in theory they do a remake 3 next um, and then you make that character more uh, where in people's minds more of the casual audience go oh yeah Nikolai that guy from Resident Evil 3 remake then you can insert him into Resident Evil 8 or something potentially without the fear of oh he's just a character from a game 20 years ago you've made him more relevant again and that's how you can move characters bring characters back if they were interested in doing that just a random theory that propped up there but yeah for me I would agree I'd like the fact that he gets away um, because yeah not every bad guy has to die horrifically. Steve, what's your take? Uh, I'm very much on team. Let's get on the helicopter and leave. <laughs> I I prefer the idea of Nikolai being alive, and I'll tell you why. Because we're not really touching it. But his only motivation is money and financial gain. He will kill people and backstab them, but he doesn't like. For example, he has the opportunity to like like, like shoot uh, Jill before the, the gravedigger shows up. He decides not to. Why waste the bullets? And then the helicopter, he's not going to waste ammo and stuff on stuff he doesn't, he thinks he's got it all nailed and planned down. But if he's alive, that gives him the excuse to, you don't even have to use him as a villain. You can use him as a, a sideways contractor that the BSAA after sideways glance. He doesn't have to be an actual villain. He's just there for the money. You know, um, overall, I think he's more interesting because he is. And every other appearance he has in like Outbreak and Dark Side Chronicles and. Mm. Um, Operation Raccoon City is always that scheming little git who pretends to be a friend and then puts a bomb on your back or something <laughs> like that. You know, and I love that about him. But I do genuinely think the Resident Evil universe would be le- lesser without him, even though he hasn't technically been on the front line and he could just be sitting in like, you know, the Bahamas with a mojito. You know, I genuinely think he has still got potential somewhere, so I'm going to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's round this one out. Kai, what's your preferred ending for RE3 with Nikolai? Uh, Well, from a a narrative standpoint, it all makes sense because for him to leave on the helicopter set up a really great... um, where you get this hopelessness where Mm. where Jill and Carlos are like, oh man, 
He took the helicopter. What are we going to do? And then Barry comes and saves him. And it's like, yeah, Barry. You know, plus not only do you get Barry that way, but it also leaves, you know, Nikolai open to have his own game, preferably against Ada Wong, because they would make great adversaries. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> I'm really glad that you brought that up as well. The Barry, the Barry scene only happened if Nikolai gets away, which might be some... Some of the reason that people sort of just picked that as the canon ending, even before the survivor file or anything like that, people just like, yeah, Barry's in that one, so it's the right one. <laughs> All right, let's 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 get to the end of this. Let's close this one down with the Ashford twins from Code Veronica. Whilst one of the founding families of Umbrella, the Ashfords were never quite at the cutting edge of the competing T-virus development. As Edward Ashford approached the end of his life, it was clear that his son Alexander would struggle to keep up with Marcus and Spencer's research. The Ashford twins were created by Alexander using his own genes and the DNA of Veronica Ashford, a revered figurehead of the family. As a genetics expert, he essentially fostered the growth of intellect hormones in his offspring in order to bring Alexia Ashford into the world. However, Alfred Ashford, her twin brother, was an unexpected surprise. The children grew up closely, bonded over their intelligence. Alfred was smart, however, Alexia was the genius that Alexander had wished for. At 10, she became a senior researcher at the Antarctic base. Meanwhile, Alfred uncovered the secret of their birth, and as a form of revenge, the two locked their father away. They subject him to Alexia's T. Veronica virus until he dies. Following this, Alexia elects to infect herself and put herself in suspended animation in order to let the virus properly gestate. And this leaves Alfred alone at the age of 12, head of his family, and in control of the Rockfort base where he slowly loses his own mind. So how do we feel about the Ashfords the first time we saw them? And I also just want to top this one off with, we did a poll in the server for which of these villains was everybody's favourites. Ashfords won. Very happy about that, but we'll go around the table. Uh, Kai, you start us off. How did you feel about the Ashfords the first time you experienced them? Um, I, I think they're great. They're very entertaining and like you know they're theatrical without being too ridiculous and they have like a great dynamic because they're twins and you know claire and and all the other characters play off of them really well so it was just great all around and uh recently reading the the diaries from code veronica and learning more about the characters it's like there's a lot of of really well thought out character design and story elements that went into them so i'm a fan steve how do you feel about the ashfords I originally was not the most keenest on Resident Evil Code Veronica, as you may or may not know. Uh, <laughs> however, having recently gone through the series and played through Code Veronica again, I have a very big appreciation for the sheer stage pres presence of the pair of them. Like, uh, I would argue that the bit where you said that Alfred was smart is about as he's as smart as he's accurate with that sniper rifle. But <laughs> he has, you know, every scene he's in, right, particularly peculiar laugh or no, you can't take your eyes off him. And he's just there's something about Alfred that keeps because he's the majority. He's the Ashford view, the Ashford you see for the majority of the game. Although everyone considers Alexia the stronger twin, she's only there for like the latter half of the story. Mm -hmm. And Alfred himself is a complete basket case. Who, while his is like his island is exploding around him, he's decided to play cat and mouse with you with a sniper rifle and then send giant long armed yellow monsters at you. All the while, cross you know, I was going to say cosplaying, cross dressing as his sister. So there's a lot to unpack mm -hmm. with Alfred, and I, I kind of like that. He, he's a, he's almost I don't know how to put it. There's just there's more about him. He's not just like a Hitchcock psycho kind of analogy. He's genuinely damaged, and clearly having his sister taken away from him has left its mark on him. Although he's also a completely 
dangerous individual. Does that make any sense? I feel like I'm rambling. Sorry. No, no. That, I mean, you, yeah, you're right. He's probably one of the most complex um, characters. He, well, I would say he's definitely the most complex character that we talked about today, uh, essentially. Um, which is why that lead-in at the beginning was so long, because it's such a long, important history that has those profound effects on both of them, but especially him, like being left alone all that time without his sister, who he's dearly in love with. Um, so I mean, that that's the thing in itself, that the incestuous angle, I think that's one-sided, because I'm mm. pretty sure Alexia's just like, oh, I'm sorry, little brother, it's, it's time to go. Yeah, I mean, I, get, I always got that impression as well, personally. Um, but yeah, like that's definitely an implication that was very, like they're designed to be off-putting with that. And I always really liked the mirroring of these kind of, the siblings as the villains when you're also playing as hero siblings. So just there's something mm. cool about that. Uh, Adam, oh how did you God, feel I about just that? Realized that. <laughs> just to, <laughs> really? just, just to round off, because I haven't really said much about Alexia. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Just, yeah. Um, I kind of feel like she's, it depends on which game she's in, but she's more super, she's like Wesker and RE5 before Wesker was Wesker and RE5. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, she just wants to subjugate the entire world with her virus and thinks she is the be all and end all. To the point where she doesn't realise she's even got a rivalry with William Birkin or anything like that. I mean, that was retconned in. I kind of feel like of the two, although she's the strongest, she literally is like she's there as the boss. She's there as all this yeah. lore in the background, but Alfred's the one who actually has a personality. She's just like, I am on fire now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's definitely more part of the overall story. Um, than, than an actual character. I would agree with that. Adam, how do you feel about the Code Veronica twins? These these characters are the ones I have the least um, mm. experience with, as I've spoke about before. This is the one game that I really struggled to get into and never really ended up playing it. Um, I have watched FMVs and and stuff on them, so I, I'm somewhat familiar with them, and I find them to be very interesting. Again, they, they kind of veer away from that... Um, sort of mad scientist which we see so often um and i think there's a, a lot of interest there they kind of delve somewhat into you know human mental states mm. and and mental illness which isn't something that resident evil normally does fantastically um so i f i feel like that's definitely interesting i think watching the or, or experiencing that nowadays is definitely seen differently than it was mm. when it was made. I I feel like when it was made and given the um the kind of searching for the word now the kind of um, strictness of Japanese culture mm. um, and how sort of uh, restrained it is. I feel like having you know the 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 cross dress or the the you know gender swap kind of storyline was definitely put in there to be like shocking shocking mm. and wacky and mm. isn't this guy crazy and all gross kind of thing yeah there's um, a and that's def there's a yeah. line in there obviously we don't even need to say it with the claire bells yeah. out that is not really exactly. like you know in this day and age it's it's very different you know right exactly mm. and and i feel like as um, when I, at the age I would have been, if I'd played it through, I would have probably echoed the sentiment in my sure. naivety, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I think as an adult, um, there I feel a lot more sympathetic towards 
um the the characters um well not alexia but um alfred um you know he's broken mm-hmm. really he he his sister's taken away from him and that's like his entire world and even though he's supposedly also somewhat of a genius intellect you know he's clearly overshadowed mm-hmm. and he wasn't ever meant to be and then all of a sudden he kind of finds himself alone like it's it's very compelling i feel like um and and again i when we when we come to the uh code veronica um episode i said that's when i'll play the game you know i'll <laughs> play it through so i'm fresh yeah because uh, I want to be able to give you that kind of experience of like, hey, I just played this game for the yeah. first time. So um, I won't play it until then, but I'm definitely more fascinated with the character now. Excellent. So, Sherwin, round us out. How do you feel about the Ashfords? Oh, you knew where I was going with this one, didn't you? <laughs> um, so Code Veronica for me is the first time the series has a real wobble. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, I think... The Wesker portrayal in this game is especially egregious. Um, I've got no other way of saying it. It's like some 15-year-old's wet Matrix fanboy moment. Um, but um, So the interesting part for me is that I might be alone here in that I think, I think um, Alexa just doesn't really have any impact at all for me. Um, no, I she, she, she literally turns up... I mean, yeah, there's some stories here and there. Um, and yeah, you kind of get a hint there's something happening there in terms of, you know, you know the cosplay vibe or whatever else, but she just doesn't turn up. By the time she actually turns up, you just don't simply don't care. Like, the moment is missed. Um, and then, I mean, I can kind of get behind her brother running around, like wearing, dressed in like an old British military uniform, hunting you with a rifle and kind of being absolutely crazy because he's literally just this mental case in a facility. I, I can kind of get behind that because as much as it feels, it still feels weird. Um, it kind of works in a sort of kooky way, maybe. Mm. But um, I think for me, the the biggest barrier, to be honest, with these two characters is is it really is that whole kind of idea of oh yes, they were genetically created to be like you know geniuses and all this other stuff. And at that point, like here's the thing: we we know this um, from previous episodes, but just to reiterate, reiterate for anybody who doesn't necessarily hasn't heard me say it before. I can really get behind Resident Evil when it is a game that it starts out as the series did. So you have a believable, and he says in inverted commas, kind of situation where a pharmaceutical company has accidentally basically created a rabies virus that infects humans. And that's going to then, and then we throw our main characters into this thing and they're running around and they're trying to survive and they're trying to get free, right? The more that we move away from that and the more we move into, hey, we can clone people now. We can do these sort of silly ninja flips. And oh, this person died, but they came back with red eyes and that means they're superhuman and stuff like that is the bit where I kind of start cringing a little bit inside when I play the games. And the more we get towards that, the less that I am in any way emotionally invested in those games. And unfortunately, these two really fall crop of that because they are, you know, some of the early offenders. And at that point, I kind of played this game and went, mm, not really for me. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think I can't quite break away from it. Again, I don't necessarily mind Alfred running around. Um, like a lunatic shooting people and I kind of get behind that I think it's really interesting actually that Adam said talks about the mental illness side of things I think something which again makes him stand apart quite nicely but again not really with Alexa Alexia at all she just doesn't really I'm just really not invested in that at all I think as as a 
as an end boss, you just don't really feel any sense of urge or need to go and fight her. You just don't really seem to care that much. Um, so, afraid not. Not the that, one for me. That's fair enough. I can I can see where you're coming from, definitely. And, and yeah, they were. This is obviously where things started to change with Resident Evil, like the little hints with the more action-packed like FMVs and stuff, and yeah, the the science fictiony more elements and stuff, and. I think that some of that is, especially the second part of that, is really just to push that into a new direction of, yeah, shocking was the word we picked. Um, what can we do that's different, that's going to surprise people? Um, and it's hard to remember now because it's so long ago, but I imagine that that reveal of, uh, you know, Ashford's cross-dressing probably blew my mind the first time, you know, like, oh, well, there's this pair of siblings and they're talking to each other in a house. I probably, if I'd have played it now the first time, I would have picked up that it's meant to be kind of a psycho analogy because it's, you know, it's literally the thing that happens in the film. You can hear the conversation from far away and that sort of thing. Um, but in terms of a backstory, like Alfred, yeah, like in this game, He's always been a bit of a joke. He's got the terrible voice acting. Um, the dialogue's a bit of a mess. But he is the star of this game, really, with his backstory and that complex backstory. You've got, like, hints of this lost child sort of thing um, with the, the sort of, this is my creepy game that we're going to play and stuff like that. And the Bandersnatch, which is a real, like, failure of a B.O.W., it's just like the absolute proof that this is the bottom rung of Umbrella's families. And Alfred and Ashford, Alfred and Alexia for me, like, that's the cherry on top of that. You know, this is the family that we're trying to keep up. And really all they ever really did was screw themselves over Fervo in their attempts to keep up by creating these kids that just, yeah, it imploded the family. They, they murdered their own father. Um, one of them just goes completely insane because he realises he wasn't ever meant to be and, and all this other horrible stuff goes wrong. I think Adam hit it right on the top there with, like, it's it's sympathetic. Like, we talked about all these characters, but for me, um, Alfred is the one sympathetic one out of all of these um, just because it's just an awful, an awful backstory for a character. In terms of Alexia, I agree with pretty much everyone here. Like, she doesn't really offer a whole lot to the over the actual gameplay element and stuff like that. And as a character herself, she is more just a piece of the story. I do like her as the sort of only female genius in the series that we've had, say for Alex Wesker, you could argue. Mm. Um, although I, I, I would say Alexia higher because she's got this drive to succeed and control so much that she puts herself in suspended animation for 10 years uh, just, to, just to further her progress. Um, but yeah, there's not too much more beyond beyond that so how do we so let's let's narrow down a little bit more on ash on, on alfred how do we feel about him as a sympathetic character um and his death and that kind of thing steve why don't you kick us off uh, you, you gotta feel for him i mean he wasn't even meant to exist you know he was a byproduct of the whole making alexia thing and mm. he's been pretty much left abandoned and used and even the company doesn't seem to really care about him i think hunk's got some nice words to say and that's about it <laughs> So on that regard, I, I can sympathise with Alfred. I mean, obviously he's got other mental issues to unpack. He's been separated from his twin, and but yeah, don't get me wrong, he's not a, not a nice guy. Uh, hell of a Castlevania laugh and the big like, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I have sympathies, but not not too much of it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. That's fair enough, Kai. You you're a, you're 
had kind of popped when I said <laughs> Ashford's. So how do you feel about Alfred's portrayal? Um, of that kind of why, thing? why don't you let me go last? Because I'm going to get really into it. I okay. love Code of Rock. Excellent. <laughs> so any more notes, uh, Adam? I know like, you, you said you haven't played it, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it just to experience that. Um, from what I know of it, though, yeah, it's, it, like, I, like I said originally, it's maybe one of the more interesting Resident Evil characters looking at him um, from my position as an adult, you know, now. And, and not only as an adult, but as an adult with, with some mental illness. Um, it's, it's something that probably is more fascinating to me now than if I would have played this um, first time round. Maybe there's a maybe there's a reason young Adam put this down <laughs> and didn't play it. Like maybe there's some sort something there um, because I can probably get more out of it now. Um, so I'm interested. I'm looking forward to the episode and, and playing this game through. <laughs> I'll put it on the docket. I can't promise it'll be soon, but we will get. It's to going it. on there, so. <laughs> Showing any final notes from you? I don't think so. Um, I offered my unfortunate scathing review of these two, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, for me, I again, it's yeah. People like these characters. Good with them, you know. There's not yeah. any kind of condemnation of them. Just yeah. for me, they they represent a shift away from what I understood and appreciated Resident Evil to be. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's just setting. I mean, again, I, the other part I didn't touch on is the Steve character in uh, Code Veronica, which really doesn't help. So um, <laughs> yeah, there's it's again. It, it, there's lots of parts in it which I'm not really uh, not the one chief. Not for me, I'm afraid. That's fair enough. Like our, we always say, the MO of this show is like your opinions about Resident Evil are all, are all fair. So I completely get where you're coming from. So Kai, please go off on one about Code Veronica. <laughs> all right. So Sherwin, I, I agree about the Wesker ninja stuff, but this might actually steer you back towards liking Code Veronica. Okay. <laughs> so when I did all the, the file narrations for this game, I was blown away at how much lore there was behind Alexia and Alfred. Because, like, you don't really learn this stuff in the game unless you read. And I'm sure you guys are like me and hate reading. But <laughs> um, so, you know, obviously, Alexia doesn't come into play till later in the game. But uh, finding out how they were like, OK, so they were bred to be geniuses. And Alexia is like a super genius. And Alfred is is extremely intelligent but he does not compare i mean alexia got into college at like age 10 or something and i mean she was like like this prodigy and it's hard to picture alexia as a researcher in a lab coat but that's what she did you know we don't see her like that in the game the way she's presented but because she was such a big deal all her life all she knew was praise everybody was just fawning over her and it ended up uh, going to her brother who was basically as in love with his sister as you could possibly be without going too far. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And he just, he idolized her and he would do anything for her. And her research into ants and how they behave made her have that queen complex where she's like, everyone's here to serve me. And that included Alfred. So um, the whole getting uh, uh, frozen or whatever for 15 years was a really big thing because the experiment that they did to their dad that turned him into Nosferatu, that's the exact same thing she did to herself, but she was like, okay, now I know what not to do. And she, um, in her diary, she's like, I don't trust anybody, but Alfred is such a little like 
fanboy of me that I know he'll take care of me while I'm frozen. So I guess I can trust him. And it was a very one-sided thing. So reading all that, like, I really felt genuinely bad for Alfred. I mean, he's very misunderstood and he's very lonely. I mean, he, she was his world and she was like, all right, see you in 15 years. So for him to, the last thing that he saw was Alexia waking up before he died is actually a very powerful moment that you don't, you don't really get the full gravity until you read all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's, I think that explains everything I need to say. <laughs> that, actually, to be fair, like like that little scene that you just mentioned is a very human moment. Like, you strip away all the, the awful evilness of it. Um, and it it's touching in its own weird way. But then, yeah, then the, like, the shot snaps to her like dead eyes because she doesn't really care about him. She's just, uh, like you would assume, consumed with the thoughts that, you know, she's become what she set out to be. Which I think, yeah. I, I guess it sums it all up. All right, well, let's tie this one up neatly. Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributor for this episode. If you'd like to be part of the show, then please look into auditioning for our file readings. One way to get in touch is to email us at fasprayfod at gmail.com. But of course, the best course of action is to join our Discord server, where you can also ask questions for the bite-sized discussion, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's being recorded. The link to the server is in the description of this podcast and also on our social media profiles. You can follow us on Twitter at fasprayfod, on Instagram at fasprayfod, pod on our facebook at facebook.com forward slash fa spray pod you can find the podcast on youtube stitcher spotify and itunes and if you enjoyed the show please do leave us an itunes review if you can it helps spread the word our next episode will see us return to dolby louisiana to celebrate the three-year anniversary of resident evil 7 biohazard yes it's already been that long Thank you to all the panel. You can follow all the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sonyak underscore one, two, three. Steve is at Firebutton Games. Sherwin is at Sherwin's Agenda. You can find Kai over at Ink Ribbon Games and Adam's on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Mr. Lucky Paint. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. So our next bit of news, still keeping on with RE2 2019, is that there is a possibility of future DLC according to some leaked Steve uh, Steve Steam achievements. <laughs> Not personal achievements. Steam Steam Steam. achievements. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what, what do we think of that? <laughs> do you, you want to start from the top of that headline? No, no, we, I don't, we that take was perfect. That take was flawless.